Hello, I'm Susan Dunlop, Life Coach. Welcome to Episode 28 of Coffee and Contemplation with Susan. The podcast show, if you've not been here before, is a series of 30 minutes or so episodes of chats with extraordinary real women from every decade of life. Denarians, who are 10 years old to 19-year-olds, through to centenarians, 100 to 109-year-old. I don't make it about just anyone coming on the show, and I think that's what people have enjoyed, that there's such a variety of people that are coming to share their stories. And sometimes it's because I'm just waiting for weeks until the right person comes into my field of vision or springs to my mind in a quiet moment. And um, I must say one lesson I have learnt so far is it's not a good idea to wait too long for 100-year-old people to come and call you back. So I'm now on the hunt again for a 100-year-old lady. But what I do is I invite people who stand out to me as someone who's doing good for the world and not in a show pony or empire building kind of way or it's just that I want listeners to connect the dots that someone else has been where they are and made a change or you know that they can just have a laugh or shed a tear and I get some lovely feedback that people really um, found that a speaker has resonated with them and it'll be weeks or months later that they'll actually say oh I remember episode 15 or 14 I think oh goodness that's good to hear that they're, they're still tuned in Um, But I think it's about thinking about the questions too that I'm about to pose to to my guest today and how you might have answered them if you were asked. So the questions are about life and also about purpose. The initial decade of life theme was simply getting generations to hear each other's stories. You know, the 81-year-old lady who was born a month after World War II and she now lifts the spirits of the fellow residents of the nursing home in which she lives or the 18-year-old girl who wanted to tell a story of anxiety and depression as her opportunity to give other teens hopes. I think her episode has actually been the most listened to so far, interestingly enough. Today I would like to introduce you to the guest I have, and we're going to speak on a particular theme, which I think is probably a very um, interesting theme given the year that all of us have had, that's the year we're having when we're not living a year. So today's guest is Rebecca, or Bex Weller. Welcome, Bex. Thank you so much, Susan. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'll give you a little bit of a background on Bex and how I came across her in, uh, it was only probably over a year ago now, that Bex is a writer of a book called The Happier Hour, and more recently her Up All Day book has come out as the, um, the second book in her series. And she's the creator of a, a following or a cause, I would call it, um, called Sexy Sobriety. So her website is sexysobriety.com um, and it was intrigued me because I think it, it interests me to, um, to explore what people are looking at in terms of you know, trying to find help if they're feeling a bit lost or alone in the world. So I've asked Bex to come on today with that theme as our coffee and contemplation focus point. You know, binge drinking in particular is something um, or we often will call that the elephant in the room and She writes about love, life, and the strength and potential of the human spirit. And her work has actually already been featured in the Telstra Business Awards, the Australian, the Sydney Morning Herald, the Huffington Post, Better Homes and Gardens USA, uh, SBS Food, the Good Health Magazine, Marie Claire, and Elle Quebec. So she's a little bit known out there. Um, So sorry if I'm stumbling around. I'm a little bit nervous having a real guest, you know. (laughs) I will get there. <laughs> but what I thought, the, the part that probably got me, which made me read the book, I suppose, is the, the brief intro to Bex's first book, and it's in her words, is 
When Rebecca Weller's pounding, dehydrated head woke her at 3am yet again, she stared at the ceiling, wondering why the hell she kept doing this to herself. At 39 years of age, and a health coach no less, she knew better than to down several bottles of wine per week. Her increasingly dysfunctional relationship with alcohol had to stop, but after decades of social drinking, she was terrified of what that might mean. How could she live a joyful existence without alcohol? How would she relax, socialise or celebrate without wine? In sheer frustration on a morning filled with regret and tears, she embarks on a three-month sobriety experiment that becomes a quest for self-discovery and ultimately transforms her entire world. A Happier Hour is a heartfelt, moving and inspiring story for anyone who has ever had to give up something they loved in order to get what they truly wanted. Well, that's a nice, powerful last sentence, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> How did it feel getting that book out there just before we started? It felt amazing. Like it felt terrifying, but then quickly amazing. Like I was mainly terrified. I remember um, going to uh, lunch with my ex-colleagues uh, just before the book came out and they were like, oh, your book's coming out. You'll have to give us a copy and we'll put it on the shelf at work. And suddenly I thought, oh, my God, all of my old colleagues are going to read my diary, essentially. They're going to know every single detail of what I was trying to hide from them for so long. And I was absolutely terrified. I went home that night and my stomach was in knots. I was, It was churning. I couldn't sleep. I was like, what am I doing? Like sweaty palms. I couldn't, couldn't believe I was going to put this out there. But once I did, like, I, you know, we, there's a saying that secrets keep us sick. And the thing that I found was once I put it out there, I felt so, so free, so liberated of the things that I had been trying so desperately to hide for so long. Mm, I can imagine that because so many people um, downgrade or you know, downplay what's what they're going through, and particularly in relation to alcohol, I think. Yes, definitely. And 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 you know, the the reason that I brought that book out was because we were running our program, and I say we um my love, my now husband Dominic and I um created this program in 2014. Um and when we did, there were so many of our beautiful members in the program who were saying you know, I'm on day 17 and I feel like I'm losing my mind or I'm on day 30 and I can't stop crying. You didn't go through any of this because I guess they looked at me and they, you know, at the stage that I was and they were like, well, you look sort of, you know, put, put together. How can you have experienced these emotional ups and downs that I'm going through? And I said, I did. I promise you I did. And so that was what drove me to create the book was like putting all of that story into one place so that they could read it and they could see themselves in it and understand that it was part of the journey like that the times that were the hardest were where I grew and learnt the most and was able to um, figure out new ways of of patterns of behavior new habits figure out new understandings and new clarity around how I was going to create this new life so you know, that was what drove me to put it out there. And then the response was so beautiful that it just, it really helped to me as well. Like where every time a woman wrote and said, oh my God, it's like reading my diary. It's like you took every word out of my head and put it onto the page. Then it felt like, okay, this is, 
this vulnerability was worth it because you're really connecting with someone else on a deep level and letting these women know that they're not alone because that was the thing. When I was going through it, I thought I was the only one in the entire world that was going through this. And that was terrifying. I was like, what's wrong with me? Why am I so broken? So being able to connect in that way was so unexpected, but so beautiful. That's what I think it is. I think there's a lot of the feeling of is it just me? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I, I sort of pick up. And as I said, I've had a, a coaching client say it to me, you know, that, you know, I don't want to actually tell my husband um, that I want to cut back on, you know, wine while we're doing, you know, this holiday tour they were about to do because she doesn't want him to know that she's got a problem. I thought, well, who better to start with than the person you're living with? Exactly. And he'll probably know you've got a problem. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not like it's not there. <laughs> it is there. Yeah, we, we think we hide it really well, but, but yes, often we find out, oh, actually I wasn't that good at hiding it after all. So what we might do, Bex, is um, so I sent you 17 questions and you chose some <laughs> nice juicy ones um, in relation to our topic. Um, and what I was thinking we might do is in case we run out of time, I'm going to start with some questions just about you and probably about that legacy type of thing and about the recognition you've had first and then we'll go on onto the subject of your work. Is that yeah, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Okay. So, so Bex, when you're planning your 90th birthday party, uh, what three things would you like to think your three favourite people in the world will say you achieved in this one precious life you've lived? Oh, I love this question so much. This is it's actually similar to one of the exercises that we do in the program and I think it gains, it helps us to gain so much perspective and that is um, the exercise may sound a little bit morbid but it's about having someone read out an epitaph at your funeral <laughs> and, you know, in the in the one hand it's it, the first exercise is writing down what that would sound like, what the epitaph would be if you don't change, if everything stays the same. And then the other one is what would happen if you do change. And this just helped me really to stay stop drinking because it put things into perspective. And I hear that from so many of our members that it's such a powerful exercise because my first one was all about you know, at the time I was considering breaking up with my love because he wanted me to drink less. So the first epitaph I wrote was like, okay, well then she alienates everyone, like talking about myself, you know, she alienates everyone in her life and drives everyone away and then goes to live in a cabin in the woods so that she can be alone with her Mm. alcohol, which is where I saw it heading. And just like putting that down on paper, you just, it helps to break through that thing where you're like, I can only see what's in front of me and helps you to think about this whole lifetime and how precious it is and how short it is really. And then the second one I wrote was like, okay, uh, you know, now she she quit drinking at 39 and she traveled the world and she had amazing experiences and she did stand up paddleboarding at last and she swam with dolphins and she wrote a ton of, uh, of best-selling books that helped so many people around the world and she held live events also sharing what she'd learned and just seeing those, those stark contrasts really helped me to gain more direction and to to put things into perspective and be like, okay, I've got a choice to make. You know, it comes down to this choice of like this crossroads of I can keep dibble dabbling and pretending that I can moderate my drinking and end up exactly where this epitaph is is headed, or I can have this celebration of a life. And, you know, this this 
exercise can really help us, I think. So I love that question because it's like, yeah, the same sort of thing. Like at your 90th birthday, what do you want people to say? First of all, I want to have people there, which the way I was going, I wasn't going to have any friends there. <laughs> so <laughs> whether you were going to make it to your 90th birthday. The first exactly. Place, but... <laughs> Would I have? I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. And so, you know, just considering how we want to spend that life. And and that's what I hope they say about me. I hope that they say I had a, a life full of love and laughs and adventure and um, connection and creation, like creating new things. I love that. Like I love writing and this, I used to have this idea or this romantic notion that we tend to have about writers is that, oh, you have to be a heavy drinker to be a good writer. You know, we have this, this history of, of this um, image. And when I stopped drinking, I actually had so much more headspace and clarity and energy and ability to string sentences together like how I thought it was going to be better when I was drinking I had no idea but that creativity really blossoms and it's another thing that has helped me both heal and and be excited for the future like what else I can create I think we feel the best about ourselves when we are making something whether we're baking or gardening or you know doing something that you are creating something new out of nothing it's nice, isn't it? Nice to think about it that you've actually given. I imagine your life has actually expanded in time. Mm. Like the you're awake, being awake hours <laughs> yes. is so much more. Yes, that's such a good point. When I first stopped drinking, I was like, "What the heck?" You know, when you're drinking, I would go out and I would have sort of twelve hour sessions, and it would feel like two hours. Now I go out for two hours, and it feels like a long time. The the when at first I was like, "What on earth do people do with themselves like all night long or?" all morning long it just there was so much time all the time and that was freaky like it, it scared me at first of oh my gosh what what am I how am I supposed to fill this time but now it's brilliant because you get to do so many more things on your bucket list on that you want that you're curious about in life no, so it sounds like it's going to be a good party and at least you'll be dancing at that party so you're not going to be the one in the box of the room so yes, right. girl, I'll be dancing <laughs> Um, so, Bex, you've been recognised already, as I mentioned just briefly. You, you've been a finalist in the Telstra, is it the Telstra Business Women's Award or Built Business, Business Awards? Business Awards. Um, for WA. So, congratulations on that. <laughs> so, 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 just thinking, if you could tell us maybe a little bit, you know, how did that feel and you know, what was your nomination for and you know, how has it changed your life? Because I think awards, people don't understand the process of actually putting yourself on the line for an award sometimes and that massive reflection you get to do on, oh, I've done good. Yes. You know, so can you talk, talk us through that a little and bit? And it does, right, because, you know, that the Telstra Business Awards, that it's a nationwide event and one of the most prestigious business awards in Australia. So it wasn't something that I was even on my peripheral vision. And so to be nominated was an incredible experience and honour. And we were nominated for the best new business for the work that we were doing with Sexy Sobriety. And I mean, we started Sexy Sobriety in 2014 and it was this was 2017. So we've been running it for a few years and I knew that we were doing great work because of all of the beautiful letters that we received from members every day and the comments within the program. But it felt amazing to be acknowledged and appreciated by the greater business community. Like it's something I never expected. And you're right, the process of it 
because we had, we were challenged to write our very first business plan. I remember the judges when they called to say that um, you're a finalist. They were like, "Okay, we, you know, you've submitted all of these things that we've reviewed. We want to see your uh, business plan as well." So there was me like googling how to write a business plan because this wasn't something we'd done before. And I was like, "Okay, right. This one says that you put this in it. This one's." And the funny thing was, is the judge said to me you wouldn't believe what some people put in them. So I was like, oh, God, what does that mean? Like, what should I put in there? <laughs> so there I was, like, trying to figure it all out. But that process, it so helped us to really clarify and plan for our future growth because, you know, just the formality of it helped us to, to put things into perspective. And it involved a, a business health check, they called it, which included going over our work culture, our planning, our innovation, our customer service, our financials. And it was such an involved process that really helped us to recognize the impact that we were having on, that we were already having, and how to amplify that so that we could help even more people. So it changed us in that it it made it more formal. And, you know, at the time, I, I had been doing um, health, health coaching and I had been doing business coaching for other health coaches. And this move into sobriety coaching was very new. And so it helped me to also realize, okay, if I double down and this is the this is the place where we are having mo- the most impact in the world, where we're helping the most people and it's the it's life-changing kind of help it's you know the business coaching and the and the life coaching with the uh, sorry with the nutrition coaching that was great and it was helping people but the sobriety coaching was helping people on a different level and so it just helped us to realize okay let's go all in on this um this program and really maximize it to help the most people definitely a niche that you've got and i think mm. it's you know, such an important one that's what you know, said it stood out to me that the people say in coaching oh you need to have a niche market i think gosh if you can actually help the people with one thing they actually tend to not want to even raise in coaching yeah, yes. um, as i said when it comes up i often find it's because they suddenly i feel comfortable enough now to tell mm. you this mm. dreadful secret and think oh gosh you know all that stuff we could have fixed yeah. before you you know, before we got to that, you know, because it's really that sometimes at the bottom of it, isn't it? That they just need to let that secret out. It really is. And just that, you know, like I was saying about publishing the book, that just that putting it out there frees us a little bit of, of like, I don't I need to mm. hide anymore. Some of the people I've had on have said some amazing things that people have um, taken from their story. Um, and then even in that, it's come back around to the person who shared the story again that she's realised that she actually she chose to share for once Mm -hmm. and her sharing has impacted another man's daughter and like just that's incredible just so but you've got to realize it's just that ripple effect you know it's lovely it's so easy and I see so many people now because we've been running the program for so long so many of our members have gone on to then do similar work to what I'm doing to sharing their story with more people and it's just this beautiful ripple effect that just keeps giving and keeps impacting good you've got to speak up you know and as you said it's about that illness of not speaking you know I think sometimes I look through that Louise Hay book I think oh all these things people are suffering from it'd be good if they actually spoke up a little bit yeah exactly. <laughs> they're probably knocking a few of the diseases That's right right this the shame it just keeps us so small and so stuck yeah I think so so how about we move on to your work then um so just in relation to so we're talking binge drinking 
Um, we're also talking about people that have that creep of drinking away from just the weekends to move towards Thursday night as well to maybe squeezing out a Monday night if they can of no drinking. So I was just thinking what's the last straw, if there is one, that you see as the most common stop sign for someone who is, is signing up with you to experiment in sobriety? Mm. And I, this is such an interesting one as well because I think there isn't always one. For me, I had an epiphany um, suddenly, thank goodness, that I'd spent the previous two decades of my life running from things. Like I kept thinking, if I change my job, if I change my location, if I change my relationship, then things will be different. Not realizing, of course, you know, everywhere you go, there you are. (laughs) And when I when I was thinking about breaking up with my love, you know, I was just like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm going to spend the rest of my life running if I don't change something, if I don't stop this. And that was mm-hmm. such a big wake-up call for me. And I hear from other women that sometimes they come to us after they have had a bad experience at an, an event or at a wedding or something that they've gone through and maybe they've done something silly for the hundredth time and they just realize that they've had enough of living like that. And for others, it might be as simple as just a conversation or something they hear and something just clicks where they think, I've just had enough. Like I, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to change. I think the most important thing to remember is that you know, unlike the portrayal of sobriety in movies or in uh, books and things like that, there doesn't have to be a dramatic rock bottom event. Like I kept myself going around and around in circles for so long, like, well, am I an alcoholic? I thought only alcoholics stop drinking. And that kept me stuck because I was like, well, I don't drink in the mornings. Like definitely I binge drink, no doubt, and have these blackouts and hangovers that I really don't want anymore and do things I regret. But but I don't drink all day and I don't do these things that, that were I'd seen in the movies. And what I'd failed to realize is that we can stop drinking anytime we like, just as much as we can stop smoking or we can stop eating sugar. We can just decide that we want something more for ourselves, that we want our own health and happiness over something that is a societal norm. <laughs> I've, I've said to Bex before this, like our family has had a history of drinking. Like my dad's um, motto when we were in our teens was that, was it a family that drinks together stays together? You know, so it's pretty hard for you to say no to that when you were you know, pretty young and that was the way it was going to be. So we started that way. And then I sort of look at um, adults that go on and keep on binge drinking. I think is it still just them playing out their teenage naughtiness, mm. you know, like the out of control? Because why do adults need to binge drink? Mm. What is it that makes that still a normal thing to do? <laughs> You're so right. You You're know? so right. And, the, you know, they say that we get stuck at the same age that we were when we first started drinking. And I, when I stopped, I definitely saw that. I was like, oh, gosh, I act like a 16-year-old when I'm in, you know, if I'm confronted about my behaviour or if I'm if I'm in a, an argument with my love or, you know, I, I could see that it playing out where I would pout or I would sulk or I would, you know, withhold affection, all of these kinds of things where I'm like, wow, I really didn't allow myself to progress past that point. And, yeah, I see that in others as well when they are be, continuing to binge drink. And I think there is a part of that. There's that rebellion of, um, you know, I can do whatever I want. And for me, I I worked in um, 
you know, just before I started my own business, I worked uh, in as a cost engineer for a global energy company, and before that, in um, banking, um, head office of banking. And so it was, they were very male dominated industries. And so we would have a ton of functions and events and the men drank uh, heavily. And, you know, there was part of me that was like, well, I can do anything that the men can do. So I can rebelliously drink as well. And so, you know, watch me drink you one for one and see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh, and so, yeah, I think there is that. And then I think sometimes with, um, parents as well, like, and when they have um, kids at home and they have a babysitter, then maybe they go a bit nuts because they're like, well, I'm out and, you know, I'm, I'm kicking back and this is my relaxed time. Yes, and then you come home and the babysitters just walk out the door and you're stuck with the kids and you go, good, could you not have stayed like the next so I can morning, have a sleep? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, it's cruel some days. <laughs> Um, what I was thinking too uh, that would be good to have a chat around is, you know, how can we change from, you know, oh, really, you're not drinking tonight, you know, go on, just have one, to, oh, you drink. I don't, you know, I haven't got time for that anymore. You know, it's like the not drinking is the odd behaviour, mm. you know, if you know what I mean. So, you know, can we talk a little bit about yeah. that? Like, how did that happen? How, yeah, how did that happen? How did that happen? I do think that a lot of social media is um, is involved in this, especially when it comes to women drinking because, you know, now you only have to turn on Facebook and you constantly will see memes of, you know, having to drink to get through life, having to drink to get through parenthood. Um, even there's a there's a fashion um, label that I follow. It's just like a little uh, local store. And now she's bringing out all of these T-shirts that say rosé all day and um, is it gin time and all of this sort of stuff where I'm like, that's, it's so shocking to me now. I mean, I would have probably worn them if they were around when, when I stopped, but it's shocking to me that you would want to like wear this public proclamation that you want to just drink all day. But this is where we've got to, where it's so normalized and not drinking is the odd behavior. And, you know, I, I was, I was quite shocked when I when I was watching Mad Men the the series and at how much everyone smoked and in there there was peer pressure to smoke if anyone didn't smoke especially if one of the men didn't the other men were like come on are you a man or you're a mouse you need to smoke and now of course things are so different and I see us there with alcohol now where there's this peer pressure we shouldn't feel peer pressure after the age of 16 and yet we do we're grown adults and we we feel it and I I'm sure that I also put this peer pressure onto others when I was drinking because I wanted a drinking buddy it was about what I wanted not about what that person particularly wanted and This is the number one thing that I see with women who want to stop drinking, but they're terrified of socializing without alcohol, as I was. Like my whole world revolved around these big drinking events. And so if I stopped, like what would that be? Like who would I be if I wasn't that woman who was first in line at the bar and getting everyone drinks and trying to get everyone to have a good time and to, to stay later with me? And, you know, I think it's such a... It's such a long journey to become that uh, confident in not drinking, but it's such a beautiful one as well. Like with that time and practice comes confidence with, with, with when you 
experience sobriety for long enough, you realize how flipping good it is. And then you feel so good about it. like now if someone says, oh, would you like a drink? I'm like, no, thanks. I don't drink. And I love it. Like I feel so empowered by that. But at first I was terrified and it was so ironic because I went from hiding how much I was drinking to then hiding the fact that I wasn't drinking. Like, oh, maybe if I put this in my glass, people will think it's alcohol. I mean, that's just crazy, right? It's just so nuts. No. We do the same, actually. It's, you know, Tom and I quite often will just go off it. You know, and Tom's very monkish when he does it. He just goes, "I am done," and I'm like, "Oh, hold on, I'm not quite ready for that. Hold on, hold on." <laughs> and we did it for like two years. You know, and it was the best years of our business. I have to say, I had the best clarity and calm, and you know, crystal clear. But I remember that I, for our Christmas parties, we'd have all these nurses would come, like it was a nursing agency. And everyone would be just checking out what I was drinking. So my assistant, she'd actually fill up a jug with lime and soda and be just filling up my champagne glass with that. So it looked a little bit like it was champagne. But yeah, I didn't drink all night. But it was just it was just crazy that it was an expectation that, oh, she's not drinking. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm not. And I'm actually listening to every single word you're all saying. And I'm taking it in so I can actually make the business better when I go back to work on my exactly. back. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm getting all your exactly it's so crazy right and I you know the 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 funny thing is as well like I I thought that I I I wasn't sure how I would make it all work when I stopped drinking but when when you stop drinking as well I think you find more people that also don't drink or at least don't their lives don't revolve around alcohol like we've got a group of friends and they'll have a couple of drinks when we're with them but they want to do other things they want to like play sports or play games or you know do things so that there's entertainment besides just sitting around and drinking and that was so new to me and I thought so funny as well like I wouldn't have gravitated towards those people and I wouldn't have chosen to hang out with them when I was binge drinking because I wanted to surround myself with people who did the same thing that I did which was drink more and so to to then start finding yourselves in or like find, seeking out these groups of other people that do other things, you, it becomes more normalized not to drink. And so, you know, I think that's, that's definitely where the journey has taken me. Um, if I was still going to the same bars and parties every week, I think I would really struggle because I, I find like we, we were saying that time, time uh, expands. And so those times at the parties are quite long. But also I think, you know, it's kind of like if you if you were always into canoeing or something and then you had an injury and you could lo- no longer canoe, if you still kept going to hang out with the canoers, you know, I think you'll get a bit bored and you'll feel a bit frustrated. But if you move on to something else, then, you know, you might find a new uh, lease on life there, a new joy. As you were saying that and people like me, I'm listening and applying it to my own life. Um, but I think in the last two years I've definitely found that I've, I've gravitated away from old habits with, you know, old people that did a lot of drinking. And we're definitely more in a space of people who just don't drink a lot and we are all, we all create. Um, so I've become a lot more creative and I would never, ever think to drink when I'm creating something. So I think it's, I don't know whether the COVID nineteen's given us a maybe a breather from from that that we've actually all got to maybe inspect who we're hanging out with and you know, maybe have a bit better you know times together. We have picnics at the river for you know for breakfast with girlfriends you know instead of going for a drink. Oh, I love that. Just, 
you know, just things like that. It's so nice to just change, I think. It has been a blessing from this year, right, of just just slowing down mm. and realising that there are so many simple pleasures. <laughs> I think so. What have you seen in terms of that in relation to um, you know, COVID and um, the changes? Like I, I think I mentioned to you that what really got me to get in, in touch with you this last week was that, in, you know, in South Australia, one bottle shop said that they went from $3,000 in sale a day up to $35,000 because of the pending lockdown. Yeah. So are people drinking a lot more or are you seeing people joining your program going, I've had enough? I have to make a change or what's it yeah. like? Yeah, and especially when we had lockdowns, or like you say, because Adelaide went into lockdown and here in Perth in, in sort of March to May we had lockdowns and I think people, you know, there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of things that people do outside of the home that distract them from other issues. If you're sort of closed into your home, suddenly you have to face emotions or thoughts or behaviours that you haven't faced before and that's so confronting for people. It's, it was such a such a sudden thing that, that happens that people wanted to sort of drink through to alleviate that anxiety or to not have to do that emotional work um, which is you know totally understandable because it was so sudden but what we're seeing this year as far as the program is a lot more members coming in because especially during lockdown you know all those routines and things were out the window so there's there was no work to go to there's no alarm clocks there was you know it was it was chaos in many ways and so they found themselves drinking more than more than ever and you only had to open social media to see this as well that people were drinking from 2 p.m instead of 5 or you know suddenly at lunchtime or they were talking about drinking at 10 a.m or 9 a.m to deal with homeschooling and I think this is has been such a wake-up call to them where I'm even from friends and family have come forward and said my, my drinking is sort of creeping out of control. Now I'm drinking more every day, more every night, and I haven't been able to turn it around from the lockdown, like the eight weeks of perpetuating one behavior where you're drinking every day and maybe earlier and earlier every day. And then they're finding that they've brought that through the rest of the year and are suddenly looking at themselves and thinking, hang on, this is this is not working for me. So it's been such a tough year and it's been such an eye-opening year for so many people, I think, where we've been stripped bare and had to look at many things we haven't wanted to look at before. And ultimately, you know, that kind of exposure is, it's painful, but it can lead to beautiful growth as well. And so, you know, that's where I'm hoping that it will lead people where they are suddenly faced with what their emotions are what their patterns of behavior are and they can see for the first time what's not working i think in that in that respect it's definitely a um an acknowledgement of the lack of communication skills mm. that you know are ingrained in us all the way through from school and onwards i think mm -hmm. um that there's a lot of the numbing isn't there it's like just everyone drinks to numb yeah. um, and then the conversation's not really there to actually talk through those emotions. So that's, that's a massive thing if people have actually managed to come through and realise they need to actually learn how to be that better version of themselves. And that's such a good point about communication skills because I wish that we were taught this. Don't you feel like Australians, we're awkward, right? We're so awkward and we're sort of shy and we're sort of, we don't know how to talk about emotions. When I watch uh, American reality shows and they talk about their emotions till the cows come home and I'm like, how do they do that? And you watch an Australian reality show and they're sort of 
you know, <laughs> stuttering their way through it and trying to figure out how to put things into words. And I don't know what I feel. What do you feel? <laughs> Stuck at home in a way type Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like the bachelor, like you look at those back to back and it's like, oh. oh my goodness, so funny. So yeah, I think we all need that communication skills training when we're in school, especially in Australia. <laughs> Oh, there's so many things we could teach the kids so that they can actually come out smashing out, you know, better lives straight up, I think. Hey, um, what we might talk about is um, it's about Dr. Gabor Mate. You know him, don't you? uh, yeah. Yeah, so he's one of the world's most revered thinkers on the psychology of addiction. And he has a book called In the Realm of the Hungry Ghosts, and it's the Close Encounters with Addiction. And in it, he says two things. He says, not why the addiction, but why the pain. And it is impossible to understand addiction without asking what relief the addict finds or hopes to find in the drug or the addictive behaviour. And I was reading the book because I'm researching for a book that I'm writing in relation to um, childhood trauma and addiction. And I've heard so many times, it's usually a non-drinker will label a drinker, he's just an alcoholic. End of story. There's a label. And I'm, I'm so much more open now to go, what actually happened to him? Why? What is it? You know, so do you focus on the what happened to someone in your program or do you have a way to help people deal with that past if it's something that they are maybe not open to sharing so much. yeah definitely and you know when I first stopped drinking because I, I love his work and I love what he's saying there about the pain and the trauma underneath because I, I have never come across a case that wasn't about that and you know when I first stopped or considered stopping drinking I wasn't thinking about what pain was underneath my desire to drink in my mind I thought I love drinking because it's fun because it's way a way to feel more confident it's a way to connect with others I had to look, I had to actually stop drinking and stay stopped before I had the clarity to be able to dig further into my psyche and start to heal the pain that was underneath. And so my work and especially the program focuses on that first step of teaching others what I've learned about the power of self-care and creating new habits and patterns of behavior and communication skills and creating the a life that we are proud of that we really enjoy living and of course like every woman has a different story so depending on what each woman has been through some members who've experienced grief or trauma they're best served by working with a therapist in conjunction with the program and many members have come to us and said that their therapist sent them to us (laughs) to work in conjunction which I think is just so beautiful because we can never have too much support right I I believe in piling it on like in therapists counselors coaching groups you know anything that that helps us we 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 can always remove those sources of support later but the more support we can have the best the better and so in the program you know I always call it 90 lessons in self-love because each day we have a different activity and it runs for 90 days and we talk about all the things all the ways that we can care for ourselves I think so often women put ourselves at the bottom of our to-do lists and then we wonder why we feel so depleted that uh, we want to grasp for an easy fix and so yeah I I love that I, I always do all of that work in in 
consideration of that pain that's underneath. Like, okay, let you know, let me help you figure out how to get up and get out of bed and and feel good about yourself today. And then you might be ready to look at the pain that's underneath because I think it's it's super confronting to to go from numbing out to suddenly looking at the pain and you know that that I I, I hope to um, soften that transition. It's, it's almost like you're actually putting all the 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 legs on the new stool mm-hmm. sort of thing to me. I don't know why that just came to mind, <laughs> but it did. <laughs> but I'm just thinking even in the 90 days, like I know a lot of the things I know about habits is that you don't just get rid of a bad habit and leave a big void. You have to start replacing it with the new habits and then the bad habit hasn't got space anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's so yes, I was just wondering whether that's the way you went first. Yeah. That was yeah of interest to And me. I love yeah. that. I love replacing it with new habits because obviously mm. as big drinkers, we were very passionate people. <laughs> we were very passionate about drinking. So I love to channel that passion into a new healthy way, new healthy outlets. So, you know, we 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 talk about art therapy, we talk about um starting new hobbies and activities, just to channel that beautiful energy um, into a way that's healthy rather than, than destructive yeah and I think that's great and uh, and as you said like the other stuff will get um, resolved but it is more of a, um, a therapist mm-hmm. type of thing and some people will not go to um, other other things like there are a lot of government initiatives and there was no way I was going to go to one of those and there are of course were AA groups and there was no way I was going to go to one of those and so you know I think if you at least like bring people in, and then also recommend the therapists and the other groups and things, depending on what they've been through in their experience. I, you know, I, I love that approach just of like giving them a soft place to land and then expanding on their support network. When you're saying it's about that support network and I have referred at least a couple of my clients, I've given them your details. I don't know whether they've gone past that step. Um, and even just watching someone on Instagram who was showing how she was um, giving away alcohol you know like and she then she fell apart with some you know a wedding on a weekend I said you know like you know Bex is doing it contact her Mm -hmm. she's in Australia just Mm -hmm. (laughs) do something with someone that might just be able to help you like you don't have to prove it all by yourself which is what she was trying to do I think no you don't have to just get some support exactly exactly it makes things so much easier it makes things so much more enjoyable as well and you know when I stopped drinking I didn't know anyone that didn't drink um so it was I had no role models I had no experience in what that could even look like besides what I'd seen in movies where people were just white knuckling for the rest of their lives and I was like well that's no way to live and so when I started reading all these blogs and books and piling on the support, I started to realize, oh, okay, there's tons of women out there doing amazing things in the world without a drink in their hand. Like, okay, maybe I can see myself in that that place. So I think that's the power of support is we start to see options and opportunities where there were none before. Brene Brown, obviously she doesn't drink. And I think Elizabeth Gilbert, she also decided not to drink whether she's kept that going but you can see they went into their power Mm. like it was amazing when they stopped and they're living their best days from what I could see you know just from you know just watching them from the outside because there's so much confidence that comes from it as well like deep confidence like I thought I had confidence when I drank but it was false it was just superficial the real confidence comes from knowing that you feel 
amazing in your choice, that you're doing things that you're proud of, that you never, um, you know, do things that you regret, or if you accidentally do, then you apologize for them. You know, you take responsibility for your life. And that just feels so empowering. I felt like I was kind of in, in victim mode before of like, oh, life keeps happening to me. And now I'm like, oh no, I, you know, I've got all of the skills and the strength within me to weather all the storms, even the 2020 ones. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you imagine what it would have been like otherwise. Have you been the mocktails? That you oh, definitely. <laughs> Experimenting up a storm. <laughs> Uh, we are so at the end of where we're up to with our chat right now. Um, what I was going to ask you before we finish off is do you have a favourite mantra or a quote that gets you through um, hard times and you know, maybe just let us know when has that worked for you the most? Yes. I, you know, I have one that especially that I would use in the very beginning and it was if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you because I was like this is so hard. I hadn't really stuck with anything really hard before in my life and sobriety was flipping hard in the beginning. And that just kept me focused of like, you want change. And if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. Like the hardest uh, bumps in the road will be the places where you learn the biggest lessons and you experience the most growth. And since I'm always so fascinated about human growth and potential, that kept me uh, on board. I also had another one that I loved, which was one from one of my um, online mentors. And she said, um, it's always awkward before it's elegant. And that just helped me to keep my sense of humor when I would go to social events and be really awkward because I was not drinking and I didn't know how to do that yet. <laughs> you know, I didn't know how to be the non-drinker in the room. Then it would just help me. It's always awkward before it's elegant. I was like, okay, you know, I can have a sense of humor about this. It'll get better. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because even when you said now, like when you, you go and you say, no, thanks, I don't drink, you can actually hear the resolve, like it's just clear mm. the way you actually say it because a lot of people, when people say it, go, oh, I'm not drinking. And you can hear it. It's like, ah. Oh. So it's like that I feel bad that I don't drink mm. I or feel bad for me that I don't exactly. drink. I don't know what it is, but you, the way you say it, it doesn't sound like No, it. and that took a while. And I think that that sort of apologetic, oh, I can't drink tonight or I'm not drinking tonight, is where people will leap in with the peer pressure. I think when they hear the mm. confidence in your voice, then they're like, oh, and usually quite often then they will say to me, oh, I don't drink very much. You know, they will sort of start justifying their drinking, which is quite hilarious. But, yeah, I think yeah. that the more confident you are in your choices, the less sort of peer pressure you receive from others so maybe one trick would be to be as if mm -hmm. be as if you're best now and just say i don't mm -hmm. drink with a big smile and just that like yep <laughs> totally happy over here with my juice <laughs> that's the way that's all you need <laughs> and you're going to wake up fresh as a day exactly the next morning. that's all you really want isn't it yeah um so thanks so much bex i really really appreciate you saying yes to my invitation i, I did have that moment of I'm going to ask. I'm just going to see whether she says yes. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> and I'm so glad when I saw your email come back. It was so good. I'm so pleased you did. I love your direction of your sharing all of these stories of um, amazing women and, and all the heartfelt things that they've been through. I love that. I just feel like if people don't share their stories, it is. It's just sitting inside of you. I think, you know, like if it can fix you, can help you, your daughters, you know, like I've got three daughters, um, you know, I think, gosh, if you don't actually start to speak up, you know, they will end up still 
wondering what happened you know down the track so I think that's the thing like not just talking about my own journey but everyone's journey I'm seeing that that just help one other person and that's why I thought with you today if if there's one woman out there or one man or not, but it's about like if someone's there going mm, yeah okay I get it that's the point mm-hmm. isn't it exactly exactly and yeah. then just you know yeah. even if it plants a little seed of of doubting their current um patterns or of hope for the future then you know we, we've done our job yeah <laughs> <laughs> might take them through a more sober christmas period yeah. see how we go. <laughs> so as i said earlier you can um, find out about bex's work on sexysobriety.com and or you can follow her on social media and you know it might just be that you'll even find a lovely mocktail for when you're choosing the the recipes for christmas day this year so as i said i really appreciate you being here bex and um i look forward to speaking to you again in future thank you so much susan for having me so listeners did you take anything away from today's episode with bex that yeah, make you have a thing called that you could maybe jot down and have a, um, you know, maybe even a conversation within your own family. Or you might want to actually reach out to Bex and just see whether there's something that you can um, work on. She's got some really cool resources too on her website. So that's just the beginning. And her book's really, it was very, like you heard what she's like on the podcast. That's what her book is written like. So it's very well written, but it's light. And I think that's... Um, makes it more enjoyable to actually understand someone else's story written from a perspective of just day-to-day life. And, you know, she went through struggles, she went through successes, she went through some really tough patches and she, she kept on coming out the other end because she kept on pushing through and she could have just stopped if she wanted to and just gone back to what she was doing in the first place. So as she said, like her 90-year-old 90th birthday is going to be a pretty good celebration, I think, you know, based on what she sees, um, you know, her lifetime goal as being so i hope that you enjoyed that it is coming up to christmas it is a time of a bit of dysfunction in some families and sometimes not a celebration as such too so i know alcohol plays a lot um, of roles in people's different families so i hope that you get through christmas and enjoy it safely and soundly and you know maybe you know as i said bex has got some really lovely um mocktail recipes so you might even be interested in trying some of those out i will leave you to your day and i wish you well and take care until next time thank you